Positive Aging with Patricia Raskin is the podcast that provides empowerment, inspiration, and education for older adults to thrive in their golden years. It's produced by Rhode Island PBS and made possible through the generous support from South Coast Health, Greenwood Credit Union, Bama Companies, and Balancing Life's Issues. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positive Aging. I'm Patricia Raskin. Today, we're talking about how implantable hearing solutions can help people with severe to profound hearing loss hear sounds and words more clearly to help them connect with life's opportunities. My guest is Dr. Brian Duff, MD, an otologist, ear and hearing specialist in Providence, Rhode Island. Dr. Duff is the chief of otolaryngology, ear, nose, and throat at Rhode Island Hospital, Hasbro Children's Hospital, and has over 32 years of experience in the medical field. Welcome, Dr. Duff. Thank you. So tell us what are cochlear implants? Cochlear implants are devices that are designed for individuals with more significant degrees of hearing loss. Uh, It is something that essentially replaces the inner ear uh, for those types of loss where a standard hearing aid just doesn't provide adequate benefit anymore. Uh, It's been around for a little over 30 years, um, and uh, we've had a fairly active program here in Rhode Island. What's the difference between the hearing aid and the cochlear implant? Well, a hearing aid still has to get filtered through the inner ear. Uh, mm-hmm. So for those disorders where the inner ear isn't functioning correctly, it may not be a satisfactory solution. It's sort of like having the uh, radio tuner off by just a little bit. So even if you increase the volume, it may not come across as very clear. So cochlear implants bypass the inner ear essentially and stimulate the auditory nerve directly. So how do they work? You explain that partially with they go into the auditory nerve. And so it stimulates the nerve. And then what happens? Well, uh, there are two components of it. Uh, The exterior component, which is a little bit like a, a hearing aid that picks up the sound and transmits it to the internal component that's surgically implanted. Now that internal component directly then stimulates the auditory nerve and those signals get sent to the brain and it's how we perceive sound. So it essentially just bypasses the broken part of the system or the inner ear that isn't functioning correctly. Um, It does involve surgery uh, to obtain a hearing aid, and you need to wear both the external device in addition to having the internal implant to make mm-hmm. it work. Who qualifies for a cochlear implant? Anyone with a moderate to profound degree of hearing loss that just doesn't obtain much benefit from standard hearing aids. Uh, it could be one ear or both ears. Single sided deafness is a relatively new indication for cochlear implants, and it's probably one of the fastest growing uh, groups of patients that uh, may benefit from this technology. What about someone who's had one-sided deafness from childhood or hearing loss from childhood? Would they be, would they be a candidate? Well, some of the things that you have to consider is the duration of deafness. For an adult that's been deaf or never had hearing in that ear, that's probably not a great candidate for something like a cochlear implant. Uh, that part of the system that receives the sound signal, it's like a muscle that you don't use. 
mm-hmm. so that even if you do provide that signal, that part of the brain may not be able to interpret it adequately. So uh, duration of deafness is a, is a pretty key factor in determining who may really benefit from a cochlear implant. And when you do use the cochlear implant with someone who can receive it, do they have to learn speech again in that ear because they haven't had hearing for a while? Most patients will say that the sound quality is different than what they remember, but that quickly becomes the new norm. So that uh, what you hear with the the cochlear implant sort of replaces those old memories. Uh, Voices may sound a little bit different, but generally that's not a big issue for patients going forward just because the sound quality is so much better than what they had pre-implant that they're pretty thrilled with the benefit they get. Hmm. You know, as you're speaking, I don't know if I'm speaking like in the future here, but when you said that many times a person who's had a hearing loss throughout their life may not be a candidate because that part of the brain is not stimulated, could there be in the future a way to stimulate that part of the brain so that then they could receive the information? Um, you know, I don't have the crystal ball to predict what's going to come down the pike, but the technology keeps getting better and better. And perhaps there may be something like that down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the surgery. What is the surgery like for a cochlear implant? How involved is it? Explain it. Yeah. The surgery for cochlear implants, it's about a two hour procedure. It's done under general anesthesia, so you don't feel anything, know anything, or remember anything about it. Um, It does involve some suturing at the end, so there are some stitches that will dissolve. Uh, Patients do go home the same day. I usually see them the following day in the office just to take a look at the wound and make sure everything looks fine. Rarely is there ever any wound care issue that necessitates more frequent visits than that. Uh, they begin to use the device or they'll meet with the audiologist about a month after surgery. That's just to permit any swelling that's there to go down, make sure that the wound is healed before they start to use it. So they usually don't have much discomfort uh, associated with it. We send everybody home with some prescription pain medication if you need it. Most patients may take one or two doses total after this type of procedure. This podcast is made possible in part by South Coast Health a not-for-profit community-based health system that provides a clinical and caring experience to every life we touch in southeastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island. To learn more, visit southcoast.org. Is the device shown on the outside, so um, on your scalp or in your hair? The the external component is visible. Uh, There are sort of different formulations of that, different sizes, different configurations. Some fit around the ear, uh, I guess a bit like a hearing aid does. Others can fit directly over the scalp, um, so it tends to be a little bit more camouflaged. But uh, yes, when you wear the external device, uh, it can be visible, yes. Mm. Is it better to have this procedure done when you're younger versus older? 40 or 50 versus 80 or 90, or does it not matter? Um, I'm not sure that it makes that big a difference. I think, again, that duration of deafness um, is, key. 
is in probably the biggest key for adults. Um, for children uh, that obtain cochlear implants, there's some degree of plasticity of their brain. They adapt fairly, fairly well. And as we age, we all realize our, our brains don't adapt quite as well, uh, perhaps, but uh, uh, there's not much difference between uh, a 40-year-old and an 80-year-old in my experience in terms of how well they might do with a cochlear implant. So it's more about um, how long you've had deafness. It's more about the duration. Correct. Correct. That's a, that's a, that's a big factor in terms of post-operative performance. Mm -hmm. uh, the degree of hearing loss um, is not really that big an issue. Uh, but if you more recently lost hearing, that brain that receives that sound signal has been exercised. So that's the adaptation happens a little quicker. Mm. Are cochlear implants covered by insurance? Yes, they are. Uh, some of the insurers have been a little more reticent about approving for single-sided deafness because that's the newest indication, but uh, we've had very good luck in terms of getting insurance approvals for cochlear implants. Mm. What are some of the positive outcomes you've seen in your patients who've moved forward with cochlear implants? Well, for folks that are still working, sometimes it really enables them to continue doing something that they want to do. Uh, hearing loss can be, sadly, can be a reason that people are forced into retirement uh, or unable to do the functions of their particular job. So I've seen a number of patients that have had cochlear implants that are able to continue to work, uh, continue to do the things that they want to do. For older adults, <clears throat> it's wonderful to see someone who may be a little bit isolated because of their hearing loss, be able to reconnect with friends and family, uh, to be able to use the phone successfully, to be able to go out and enjoy life more. Uh, that's for the older patients, that's probably the biggest issue is just to see that ability to socialize once again. Mm. What do you say to family members who are going through this? They're living with this person. It's challenging for them because they can't hear them or the communication isn't as strong as it could be. Um, do you sit down with families and do you talk to them? And what would your advice be? Well, usually when we have a preoperative consultation, there's often family members there. And many times that's from a practical standpoint, someone that just doesn't hear well have a second set of ears to be able to discuss it afterwards. And there are patients are often a little scared that they may miss something uh, in the course of that discussion. But I think it's important for family members to realize that there's a little bit of effort involved here. It's not just like flipping a switch afterwards. It's not a little language pod that we implant and that uh, they're good to go from day one once the device is activated. It takes a bit of time. Uh, and effort, basically working with the audiologist to kind of fine tune things as, as time goes by. You know, day one, we can't turn everything up to a standard loud volume because it can be overwhelming. So you have to mm -hmm. sort of have to work up to it. And as time goes by, kind of refine that what's called a map or the programming of the device to go out and try it for a little while, see what works for you. What kind of situations are you having more difficulty? And we can work on that to, to see if we can refine it as time goes by. 
This podcast is made possible in part by Greenwood Credit Union, which offers locally-based full-service banking where our focus is on you. To learn more, visit greenwoodcu.org. In addition to the sound, um, is clarity an issue so that it's not just the, the loudness, but also being able to clearly hear the words? Well, that's a very big issue. In fact, that's one of the more common complaints of hearing aid users whose loss has progressed to the extent that they really don't successfully use their hearing aids anymore, is that they can hear the sound. Uh, and people, <laughs> unfortunately, others may think that they simply just can't hear them, so they'll increase the volume, and that doesn't really help. Uh, the clarity is is really the big issue uh, for those patients. And cochlear implants, while not perfect, uh, can make a significant difference for those those patients. Mm-hmm. And it's also it's affecting the family members too once the cochlear implants are implanted. And that they have to kind of get used to this training that their loved one is having. Any comments about that? Usually it, it goes fairly smoothly. Um, you know, it's not uh, this way with every patient, but the vast majority have pretty significant gains fairly early on. And the families are just as thrilled as the patients are to be able to uh, have a conversation, uh, to not have to repeat themselves frequently. So it's, um, it doesn't take too long, typically, before both the patient and the family really appreciates a significant benefit. Hmm. When should someone consider the cochlear implant? I mean, when they're not hearing with their hearing aids anymore, when things aren't clear, when they just can't hear, and, and sometimes how long does it take? Is it a six-month decision? Is it a two-year decision? Does it vary? Well, I think... It, if you're a hearing aid user and you're struggling more and more, mm-hmm. it's something that it's at least worth exploring. There are fairly strict guidelines in terms of how much hearing loss is required to be considered a cochlear implant candidate. As time has gone by, those criteria become less and less restrictive as the devices have improved over the years. So uh, I would say that if you are a hearing aid user, and that's part of this evaluation process is testing patients using their hearing aids. Uh, we want to see how well they do in a best aided condition because that's that's part of the criteria for who is and who may not be a candidate for a cochlear implant. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, if you're struggling, if you're feeling isolated, if you're having increasing difficulty, um, it may be something to explore. Mm. So to have a formal hearing test through by an audiologist would probably be a very reasonable first step. Mm. Does it take people a while? What have you seen in, in working with patients? Is, has it taken them, you know, some people, it takes two or three years to make this decision. Some people just say, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, the hearing loss is too strong and I'm going to move on with the cochlear implants. Does it vary? It varies. I've had patients take many years to come to that conclusion oh. when I thought they were a candidate. Uh, some people, you know, don't relish the idea of having a surgical procedure. Uh, 
it's not, you know, flipping a switch. There's, there's some work involved with it. Uh, some patients, you know, their social circle may not be that great. And those around are able to adapt and better cope with the hearing loss. Um, some patients, you know, if, if you've lost hearing suddenly through potentially medication use or uh, head trauma, things like that, where it's a sudden change, uh, those folks typically tend to move fairly quickly because it's not something they've had really time to adapt to. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's all over the map. Okay. What do you see for the future of implantable solutions and cochlear implants, Dr. Duff? What do you see coming down the road in the next three, five, 10 years? I think that we will see less and less severe degrees of hearing loss being required to do it. Already, uh, a moderate hearing loss uh, may be enough to qualify as a cochlear implant candidate. When I started doing this, it was only the profound hearing loss category that were cochlear implant candidates. And as we've seen as time's gone by, to watch people with less severe degrees of hearing loss get pretty substantial benefit from a cochlear implant. Uh, I think that trend is going to continue. Um, we now see it for single-sided deafness. Uh, and I'm certain that you know, the exterior device is going to become smaller and probably a little less conspicuous as time goes by. The sound quality programs, uh, it's designed primarily for human speech. But I've seen patients, professional musicians that do quite well with cochlear implants, being able to resume playing with a group. Um, so, you know, those, as we get more and more experience, you'll see it improve. Yeah, that brings me to another question, what you just said about musicians. Are there certain professions, people in certain professions that would be more likely to have this kind of hearing loss over time? Like a dentist, for example, who's near the drill all the time, or the musician who's around loud music, or a construction worker that's hearing drills all the time. What do you think? Oh, yeah. And in Rhode Island, you know, riveters at electric boat, um, certainly musicians, if you've played in a rock band for 50 years, uh, you probably had some pretty significant noise exposure. Uh, the old dental drills were much louder. Uh, mm -hmm. I came from a family of dentists, and they all had pretty significant hearing loss. Mm -hmm. uh, Certainly construction noise, that's another big factor there. Uh, people that do shooting sports, um, you know, I think most people are very aware of the potential damage with um, gunfire, but back in the day, that wasn't the case. Uh, and almost nobody wore hearing protection. Nice. So, you know, if you participate in any of those kinds of activities, you're obviously at much more risk for noise-induced hearing loss. Any preventive tips? For people? Um, certainly, if you're doing something loud to wear hearing protection, if you're running power equipment, a chainsaw, a weed whacker, a lawnmower to protect your ears. Uh, in the earbud generation and headphones, a general guideline would, should be it should never go more than halfway in terms of volume. So if it goes zero to 10, never more than a five. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that doesn't hold true for everything, but if you just had to have one fairly simple rule to apply to protect your hearing, that would be it. But uh, that's my concern is that as, as uh, pervasive as earbuds are now at this point, that that's going to be 
an issue down the road. We're going to see hearing loss related to noise exposure. Mm. So final question, what would you like to leave our listeners with about cochlear implants? I think it's a wonderful opportunity for those that are isolated or feeling uh, that their social circle is diminished because of their hearing loss. I think it's a, a reasonable thing to look into. Not everyone is a candidate. Not everyone would perhaps choose to do it, but uh, for a sizable percentage of the population with severe hearing loss, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. And uh, at least to explore it, first step would be getting that hearing test and see the degree of hearing loss that you may have. Thank you so much, Dr. Brian Duff, for being on the program today. Positive Aging with Patricia Raskin is produced by Rhode Island PBS and made possible in part by South Coast Health, Greenwood Credit Union, Bama Companies, and Balancing Life's Issues. For more information, please visit ripbs.org slash positive aging.